0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Topical with Michael Schaefer. It's me, Michael Schaefer. This is a very special episode for two reasons. Firstly, it's the first episode of 2024. So that's exciting, kicking off the year with a bang. And the other reason why it's exciting is it's the first episode that I've ever recorded whilst on a cruise. I'm currently performing on a cruise ship We are somewhere off the coast of New Caledonia. I'm on the ship in total for four nights. I had to perform on the first night. I did a a family-friendly show on the first night. Big theater, a thousand people, and maybe half of them were children, and just bombed so hard. Did not get a laugh for 15 minutes, and then said, okay, good night, and just walked off to smattered applause. There was a seven-year-old in the front row who was really into the show. So that was nice, but that's not really my target audience just because seven-year-olds don't usually buy tickets to my stand-up comedy shows. So it's nice to have a fan who's seven years old and shout out to Phoebe. I'm glad that you enjoyed the show. She was very involved. She heckled me a few times. She did derail me a little bit, but it was just nice to have a supportive seven-year-old in the front row. Unfortunately, the adults didn't like the show, and that's kind of that's who I'm going for. Typically, I think my content is mostly for adults. I mean, am I am I wrong? Am I actually a children's comedian, and I I never knew? Am I just I I don't I've, I don't really get the demographics on who listens to this podcast let me know, are you seven? Because if you're seven years old and you enjoy a weekly podcast that kind of digests the news of the week and offers mostly offensive solutions to modern problems, then I think you're a very precocious child and I'd love to hear from you as to why you enjoy the show and could you maybe suggest that your parents listen to it so we can... Boost the listenership. So if you are a child who listens to this podcast, um, let me know. Because it just it's good for me to know who my comedy is for. Unfortunately, it's not for the people on this cruise ship. I, I bombed very, very badly on that first night. And the worst thing when you bomb on a cruise ship is you then have to just hang out on the boat with the people who did not enjoy your show for several days afterwards. Look, I bomb a lot. I mean, it's very regular for me to do a show and, you know, not get a laugh. And most of the time I can just be like, hey, that's fine, I'm not for everyone. You know, typically I'm not for the people of Adelaide. I don't think I've ever had a good show in Adelaide. I've been going there for like five years or so and the conservative baby boomers in the city of churches do not pick up what this Jew boy is throwing down, so to speak. And that's fine. The good thing is, though, that when I bomb in Adelaide, I I don't have to have breakfast with the audience the next morning. Uh, Usually when I bomb in Adelaide, I can actually just fly home back to Melbourne or or London and just get, get a few hundred or, in the case of London, thousands of miles between me and the people who... Didn't enjoy my show, but unfortunately, I'm I'm stuck on a ship with people who uh, don't find me funny and don't respect what I do. Other than of course, um, Phoebe. So right now I'm just walking around the ship, uh, trying not to make eye contact with people. I'm I'm wearing sunglasses all the time. I'm wearing a hat. I'm I'm walking around this ship like I'm uh, Zac Efron flying into Australia to film a movie. That's what I'm like. I'm trying I'm just trying to stay under the radar. I'm trying not to be recognized. Of course, the thing is like with Zac Efron when he does it, he's doing it so that he doesn't get swarmed by fans you know who are desperate for an autograph and a photo. I'm doing it because I don't want to have uh, awkward conversations with people who are like Hey, were you the, were you that comedian the other night who didn't get a laugh in front of a thousand people for fifteen minutes, and then I have to be like, uh, yes, and they're like, oh, okay, tough crowd. So, I'm doing it to avoid those awkward interactions. I wish I was doing it to, because I was just being swarmed with adoration and love all the time, but unfortunately not. So, it has been a, a an awkward couple of days for me. Uh, that's how I, I brought. That's how I brought in the new year. I brought in the new year, uh, trying to avoid other people on this ship. I hope that your New Year's was better. I hope it was better. It's interesting how your approach to New Year's Eve does change. You know, the older that you get, because I remember being a teenager and New Year's Eve was just like the biggest night on the calendar. It was just like, we're going to go out, there's a house party, we're going to be so, we get get so drunk, we just binge drink, we have 12 UDLs. If we get lucky, maybe we'll get to kiss a girl. Didn't really happen for me personally, but I'd heard that sometimes you get to kiss people of the opposite sex uh, on New Year's Eve, so that was always kind of exciting to have in the mix. Normally it wouldn't happen and then you'd end up kind of going home at one o'clock in the morning and you'd, you'd get McDonald's and you would lament with your friends about how, you know, you almost got to kiss Stephanie, but then she hooked up with a guy who was um, cooler and, and kind of more popular. So that's what it was like when you're in your teens, but there was a lot of excitement about New Year's Eve and then it wouldn't live up to the excitement and it, you'd kind of begin the year on a bit of a downer, to be honest. That's like your teenage years. But now and then you go get into your twenties and your thirties, and really you you don't have any expectations for New Year's Eve because you've been through enough of them to know that they kind of suck, and you've been through enough of them to know they're they're overrated. And honestly, you get to the point where you're like, honestly, if I get to see the 9 p.m. fireworks and get to bed at 10 p.m., that's a great night. And then I'm I'm kicking off the year feeling good, feeling good about myself, good night's sleep. I'm ready to tackle some resolutions. So that's kind of where I'm at now with my approach to New Year's Eve. I love getting to bed before midnight and then just and just waking up the next day and not feeling upset that I didn't get to kiss my crush. For me, that's kind of where I'm at with my life. I th- And I hope that... We can all. I think eventually we all arrive at that mature approach to New Year's Eve because let's be honest, it is literally just uh, celebrating. It's a very arbitrary night, of course. We're literally just celebrating the Earth going around the Sun, and that's kind of all it is, really. And it's we we take that as an excuse to to get drunk and and do drugs in many cases. And to be honest, I feel like we're just... It's, it's strange to really just... We're essentially just celebrating an astrological event. It would be like if every time there was an eclipse, we all had a big party. We, like, we all had a big house party, and then the ball dropped and we saw fireworks. I mean, that would be nice. But I, I just think it's, it's... It is a strange part of human psychology that we get excited about the Earth... Doing a rotation of the sun, but when there's a solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse, we're just like that's just another Tuesday. I, I, it is strange. I, I think that's just human nature. We like to, we like to celebrate the beginnings of new things. We like to reflect and get closure. So I understand where it comes from, and I understand it is an excuse to just shoot fireworks in the sky. That's always fun. That's always I. Th- you know what? It, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna change my position on on New Year's Eve live for you here. I like New Year's Eve because you do get to shoot fireworks into the sky, and I love fireworks. I've always loved fireworks. I think it's because as a kid, my parents used to take me down a, to a Corfield Grammar School. They had a the school Corfield Grammar, which was really close to where I lived. They had a um, like a, a a fate every year had a few rides and some stalls and things like that, and at night they would have a fireworks display. My parents would go and take me down, and we watched the fireworks display together. And I've always loved fireworks, even as an adult. I think it's just the sense of nostalgia. It takes me back to that moment of being seven, eight, nine, and having that quality time with my parents. I think that's what fireworks represent to me. Nonetheless, I still I love them. I love fireworks. It's my favorite thing about New Year's Eve is the fireworks. And every year you've got these, you know, animal rights activists. I'm not even sure if that's what's. I'm not even sure if that's the good label to give them. They're just annoying people who say, no, we shouldn't do the fireworks because the dogs don't like it and dogs get get scared and upset by the fireworks. And honestly, I think that dogs can harden the fuck up. I really do think so because fireworks are cool. First of all, let's. Can we all. We all know that fireworks are really great. I mean, what. You see the Sydney. People go, thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people like, go to like the Sydney Harbour and they camp out there for a couple of days to get a good view of the fireworks. We love fireworks. It's easily the best thing that the Chinese have invented. They invented fireworks. Easily the best thing that they've invented. I'll be honest, I think that maybe we should just let them have Taiwan as a thank you for the fireworks because they. it is a lot of fun. I don't know what Taiwan has given to us recently. I think they make the 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 computer chips, the cobalt chips that allow us to use every electrical device from our phones to our laptops, to our iPads, to our computers, to our, our cars. And that's great, but it's not as good as fireworks because blowing stuff up and making it colorful is really, really cool. So thank you, China. Um, have Taiwan uh, and, as a thanks uh, for letting us have the fireworks. And I just don't think we should be taking into consideration the feelings of dogs when it comes to fireworks because they are, fireworks are great and I, think, and I think dogs really have to harden up because they used to be wolves. How embarrassing if you were a dog to look back on your ancestors and be like, we used to be wolves. We used to be like apex predators roaming around the jungles and the forests. We used to be, excuse the pun, but we used to be like top dog. We used to be like, the big guys in the forest and now we can't handle a few pops at midnight. It's like, dogs, get over it. Get you... You're not... If you want to... You used to be wolves and now you're complaining about a bit of noise. I think it's embarrassing. And also, dogs... I think dogs have had it pretty good for a while now. I mean, most of them are just domesticated labradoodles and cavoodles and they just kind of like hang around in people's homes they get fed they get love they get attention when they poo we have to clean it up we have to pick it up i just think dogs are getting a bit ahead of themselves we take very good care of them they're doing well and you know they could still be out in the they could they could have been you know roaming around the streets looking for scraps but instead we take good care of them so, I mean, sure, we race them and then we kind of kill a few of them afterwards. But most, most if you're like a Cavoodle or a Labradoodle, you know, anything that ends with an oodle, you're doing great for yourself. You're being taken care of by a white middle-class family. And to then kind of whimper and cower when you hear a few, a, a few pops in the sky and to, and to make it out like we have to change our behavior... No, I don't I don't like it. No, I like the fireworks. I like the sense of nostalgia it gives me. I like how it makes me forgive China. I think that we need it just persists. The fireworks are great. And every year I also another reason why I like fireworks is it does help to to cull the population a little bit every year. It does help to get rid of the dumbest of people every year. Because every year in Australia on New Year's Eve a bunch of people who don't know how to handle fireworks will purchase them illegally on the black market and then they will set them off in their backyards, in side streets, whatever. And inevitably, they will suffer some burns. They'll burn down their home. They'll injure themselves. Some of them will die. This is all just part of natural selection. This is natural evolution the fireworks are there to help us get rid of the dumbest people in society who think that setting off uh, a, a flammable, explosive product is is safe. And I encourage the dumbest of society to, you know, whoever you are, whoever you might be. I mean, I'm presuming it's like the anti-vaxxers. I, I've, I'm sure that there's like, if you look at the Venn diagram between like anti-vaxxers and people who injure themselves every year, setting off fireworks in their backyard in regional Queensland. I'm just sure that there is a significant overlap there. I don't I don't have any evidence to back that up. But again, that's never stopped anti-vaxxers from jumping to a conclusion. I don't have any evidence to back that up, but it is a very strong feeling that I have. I, I was reading today that uh, police responded to 66 incidents in Victoria alone of people setting off illegal fireworks, there was one video of a lady who like blew up her home. Home burned down. She suffered um, burns. Had to be rushed to hospital. These. This is why we need fireworks. It helps. It's crazy to me that people think that you can get away with setting off an illegal firework. It's the most conspicuous crime you could possibly commit. Like you're literal. Like literally. The. You, everyone who looks up at the sky can see ex- where the crime is happening there's a there's a crime happening right underneath the explosion of light in the sky i mean when you rob a bank does the robber shoot a flare up into the air to let everyone know hey there's a robbery happening right here right now no i'm i'm just i just think that if it just goes to show how dumb people are because you're committing a crime and signalling to everyone within a 50-kilometre radius where and when the crime is happening. And in the process, and I'm, I'm just saying that, you know, if you, if you injure yourself in the process, I don't think we're losing one of our best. I don't think that we're losing someone who's, you know, going to find the cure to cancer. I mean, again, I might be casting aspersions, but I just think that fireworks are a lot of fun to witness when they blow up by professionals across the Sydney Harbour. And they're also a great way to remove some of the dumbest people from our population when they're set off by amateurs uh, in regional Queensland. That's all I'm saying. I think we've got to keep the fireworks. And I think dogs can harden the fuck up. I did watch a bit of the coverage, the New Year's Eve coverage. It was on ABC and... Every year, the ABC gets attacked for its New Year's Eve coverage by conservative media, you know, the Herald Sun, News Corp, the the Australian, whatever. And this year, they didn't have much to attack the ABC on because it was all pretty good stuff. It was it was like Jessica Malboy was on. Uh, Harry Connick Jr. was there. Harry Connick Jr. keeps coming back to Australia. I don't know why. I think, I just think it's crazy that, you know he came to australia he was remember he was a judge on hey hey it's saturday and these five guys came out in blackface and did a, a tribute to um, to michael jackson uh, and he was like you can't do that and it was one of the most awkward things on australian tv ever and it, it was like global news because everyone was like look how fucking backward they are in australia they're still doing blackface in the year like 2007 or whenever it was I would have thought that after that, Harry Connick Jr. would have been like I'm done with Australia I'm like, these people are clearly racist morons and I don't think that I can stomach these people any longer full credit to the man, he keeps coming back, he's he's coming back to he comes back to Australia like every year I think I think he's realized that there is... It's interesting in how in his mind he's like, look, they might be racist people who endorse blackface, but they also love my music and I got to give the people what they want. I got to follow the money. So he comes back every year and he does like a tour of Australia. And last night he performed on the New Year's Eve concert in Sydney. The performances were great. Of course, though, there's always going to be some backlash. There's always going to be some outrage uh, this year, the outrage was uh, around a an indigenous rap group called 3%. They performed uh, just before, uh, just before like, the 9pm fireworks display for the families and the kids. And everyone was like, oh, typical woke ABC shoving their woke agenda down our throats. And I looked at the performance. I was like, I don't think this is woke. I think, what I, I think they were just like, oh, it's... Where they're putting black people on the TV. They're putting black people on the TV and that's woke and we won't stand for that. The only way you can put black people on TV in Australia is if they are in blackface and doing a tribute to uh, the Jackson 5. That's the only way really you can put black people, you can have black people on Australia and not upset the conservatives. So of course there's there's always got to be some confected outrage whenever you put an indigenous person on TV. But I think it's great. I mean, you have got to have. You can't just have Harry Connick Jr. on. You can't just. It can't just all be the whites. You got to have. You got to have your Mao boys. You got to have your Indigenous rap groups. You got to have your Baker Boys. Otherwise, it's just going to be. Who else have we got in Australia? Really, I mean, like Iggy Azalea. You know, pretends to be black, but she's not really. So, like, you know, you can't really have her. I'm trying to think right now. Who are the great Australian? musical artists who've like made a big... I mean, Kylie is great, but she's not coming back to Australia for for New Year's Eve. She's busy. So, I think it's great that we're going to have that there's this, this not just white people performing because, God, that would be fucking boring. But there's always going to be controversy around the New Year's Eve performances. In America, there was big controversy because Green Day... Uh, performed at times square love green day grew up loving their music for me like they were like the soundtrack of my my teenage years to be honest i just i loved all of their songs i they in fact like i started playing guitar because i wanted to play uh, like boulevard of broken dreams i wanted to play american idiots i also wanted to try to impress girls and and get kisses on new year's eve that didn't work out for me, but I did learn how to play "Boulevard of Bro- Broken Dreams," and that was kind of fun. But they were performing on New Year's Eve at Times Square, and they uh, did a tricky, a sneaky little thing. They changed one of the lyrics to their song "American Idiot." So uh, the original lyric in "American Idiot" was, uh, "I don't want to be an American idiot. I don't want to. I'm not a part of the redneck agenda." And that was the original lyric from when they released the song. I think it was in 2003. They put the song out, and it was. A protest song at the time around uh, the Bush administration and around uh, the war in uh, Iraq, the war in Afghanistan, the war on terror, etc. And of course, it was, you know, making fun of conservatives, making fun of Republicans, making fun of rednecks, you know, who, you know, were very Islamophobic at the time and very racist and believed in American imperialism, etc., etc. So it was, you know, a real political protest song at the time. And... Then they performed it on New Year's Eve at Times Square, and they just changed the lyric. They changed that lyric from "I'm not a part of the redneck agenda" to "I'm not a part of the MAGA agenda." So they kind of updated the lyric for the, you know, for the, the 2024 audience. And my lord, did cons- have conservatives just lost their minds? They're all just like, well, you know, I c- I can't believe that Green Day is political. How... I can't... I can't believe this punk rock band from the 2000s is is political. I mean, it's so funny to not realise that Green Day is political. It's so funny to not realise that American Idiot is a protest song against war. It's so funny to only realise that they're political when they just so overtly and deliberately say we... Are against the MAGA agenda. It's 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 like when we see this happen a lot with conservatives because, unfortunately for conservatives and you know particularly the MAGA kind of subsect of conservatives, they don't have any good art. They don't have any good uh, art, uh, musicians. They don't have any good. They really don't have any good comedians. Really, they just don't have any good like figures who can express their viewpoints in an artistic manner. And that must be very, very upsetting to realize that all of the musicians and artists that you love actually hate you. Like that's a very upsetting thing to discover if you're a conservative that all these people that you've grown up loving and respecting your entire life think that you're a fucking moron and that your beliefs suck. I mean, that would be a very hard thing to hear and deal with. Like I'm trying to think who my idols were growing up. Like I grew up loving, you know, Adam Goods, you know, one of the greatest footballers of all time, you know, is in like, you know, won three Brownlow medals for the Sydney Swans brought me so much joy over the course of his career. Like if I, if Adam Goods came out and said, like shared a clip of one of my standups, you know, share one of my standup videos and was like, this guy, This guy sucks. I'd be like, oh shit. Like I'd be I'd be that'd be so upsetting to find out that one of your heroes hates you. And I think and for conservatives, that just happens constantly all the time. So all these people they grew up they would have loved Green Day when they were kids. And now they're like, Oh, Green Day hates me. Fuck Green Day. The same thing happened with Rage Against the Machine a couple of years ago. So Rage Against the Machine have always been like the most anti establishment. And very like kind of in your face political band about that. I mean, they have a song where where they're just yelling, Fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. And they just yell that over and over and over. And it's the you is of course, you know, the government, the people who are in charge and hold hold power. And a couple of years ago, conservatives got angry at their lead singer Tom Morello. Who came out and kind of made some uh, tweets about Trump and MAGA, etc. And they lost their minds. They were like, "Wait, are you telling me that Rage? You know what? How dare Rage Against the Machine get political? How dare Tom Morello get? You know what? Stick to music. Stay out of politics." And Tom Morello and Rage Against the Machine were like, "Dude, we like we're political. We've like this. This is we haven't hidden that from you. Like we literally said." Fuck you! I won't do what you tell me. I don't know how more overt they were basically calling for like violent uprising and a violent revolution against the government. I don't know how you could be more obviously political than that. It just it's so upsetting for conservatives that all of the bands that they grew up loving now hate them, and really all they have left in terms in like the music industry and the, across that landscape. All they have left really is country music. Country music is the only music left that either it's apolitical because it's about, you know, just um, wearing leather boots and going for long drives in your ute. That, so usually it's, it's either apolitical or if it is political, it's clearly got like a, a pretty strong conservative slant. Like Jason Aldean released a song a few months ago he's a country music artist in the u.s he released a song a few months ago uh called try that in a small town or or like the chorus was about how you know people in big cities will like you know rob and there's there's crime everywhere and you do and you deal drugs and you do drugs and then his song was like yeah well you could get away with that in the big city in those big liberal cities where they they tolerate violence and crime and and drug abuse and and homelessness but try that in a small town and see how far you get so he ha- he released that song which was like not a good song like not a good song but it just overperformed because conservatives were like oh finally we got we got something we got someone who was just releasing a song that expresses my political ideology and expresses my uh, disdain towards progressives in big cities who think that they're better than us, and who think that our, that just uh, we're worse just because we're racist. And I, th- I I can kind of like, I almost feel sorry for them, because to not have art that represents you, must be very, very upsetting. And the only eye that does represent you is kind of weak and shitty and and lame. Like, uh, there's right-wing comedy. There's, like, conservative comedy out there. And it really... It's really bad. It's really lame. It's... you Like, right-wing conservative comedy, all the jokes are exactly the same. All of the jokes in right-wing conservative comedy are oh well if your pronouns are they them my pronouns are uh, get fucked and it's you listen to it and you're like well that that doesn't really make sense because get fucked those aren't even pronouns so I think you misunderstand what a pronoun is like Roseanne Barr kind of went on this weird right-wing conservative you know, she's after she like got cancelled for tweeting all this like weird racist shit. She uh, then kind of released this clip of her doing stand up where <laughs> she just did that same joke where she was like, "Oh well, uh, my your pronouns shouldn't be they them. Your pronouns should be uh, get a job, and my pronouns are well kiss my ass." And it's like, and of course, you know, if you're conservative, you're like, "Oh my god, she's a genius." I love her. Thank God. And that's really upsetting that all they have to represent them is a really mediocre kind of comedian who's flaming out and who's clearly mentally unwell, deranged and uh, tweets whilst on fentanyl. So, or prescription medication more likely. So, I empathize with People who like, who get upset when Green Day comes out and mocks them and when Rage Against the Machine comes out and mocks them because they must be like, ah, fuck. We just don't have anyone else. We don't have any good art. We don't have any good art. And that must make you feel very isolated and lonely. I think maybe I'll... I wonder if I could try to pivot towards towards that market. Should I just start doing right-wing conservative comedy? I don't think I really do left-wing comedy either, but I don't think, but maybe I could just do right-wing comedy and see if that gets people on board. I mean, maybe that's why the seven-year-old Phoebe in my show the other night liked my stand-up because I, you know, I did do a bit about how, you know, transgender people uh, aren't real and how uh, vaccines uh, don't work and how climate change is a Chinese hoax. So I did all these bits. Uh, maybe they weren't appropriate for for the family show. Maybe that's why I didn't get any get any laughs. But maybe Phoebe was just a a right wing nut job, and she was excited to see a comedian who was expressing those ideas in a way that she couldn't as a seven year old. The last thing to talk about today is uh, North Korea. Now they're kicking off the year with a bang, and I mean that literally. They're testing missiles, and uh, Kim Jong Un came out and said that he's kind of pretty keen to get a war going. Like Kim Jong-un came out and said, I think like everyone's making New Year's resolutions right now. Everyone's like, I'm going to I'm gonna lose weight. I'm going to lose a couple of kilos. You know, I'm going to go to the gym. Uh, I'm going to put myself out there more. Maybe I'll start dating. A lot of people are putting, uh, you know, people are using this time of the year to reflect and think, what do I want to achieve in the next 12 months? You know, and they're, and they're, they're putting, they're, they're making positive steps and they're creating these positive affirmations for themselves, and I, I respect that. Kim Jong-un, his New Year's resolution, his, his New Year's resolution is to start a, a nuclear war, it seems. Now, fortunately, most people don't achieve their New Year's resolutions. That's just a, a sad fact that, you know, most people, by the time they get, you know, to the end of January, uh, have completely given up and forgotten about the resolutions they made only a month earlier. Now, we can only hope the same thing happens to Kim Jong-un. We can only hope that in a couple of weeks, when everyone's like, hey, Kim, how's the, how's the nuclear war coming along? That was like a big resolution of yours. You were like, let's let's do the nuclear war. 2024 is the year, it, 2024 is the, is the final year of of the planet and the human rate of the human species let's let's get this get this over and done with that's his new year's resolution we can only hope that in a couple of weeks his henchmen go to him hey how's that how's your resolution going and he's like ah yeah no i decided i'll just kind of like i'm just doing dry july dry january instead i'm just trying to like i like i look the, the I was a bit ambitious on the 31st of December. I was. I thought that this would be the year to start the nuclear war, eradicate South Korea, wipe New York off the map. I thought this would be the year, but you know, I had a few too many drinks that night and I think that I need to just turn it down a little bit. So instead, I've made it my resolution this year just to drop five kilos. That's all that I'm trying to, I'm trying to do I just want to if I can just get to the gym you know three times a week if I can do my 10,000 steps a day that for me would kind of, I would say that's a win a win for 2024 so look hopefully Kim Jong-un does what pretty much all of us do and he recalibrates his new year's resolutions and these goals when he realizes that they're going to take a lot of a lot of work and effort and that maybe he's kind of overstretched himself trying to promise a a thermonuclear holocaust so we can only hope for the best i i think it comes from a place of of insecurity now for kim jong-un i i think that these promises of war and the the ballistic missiles that he's testing and i think it all comes from a place of feeling a bit insecure about his place in the world now because he's not getting much attention anymore you know we've got Of course, the war in the Middle East, got Israel Hamas, they're going at it. You know, then of course, before then, we had, you know, Russia and Ukraine, they were going at it. I think that one's done. I think that, I think we fixed that one. I think, I haven't seen that in the news. So is that one done? Did we, is that all good? Did we, did we fix, did we solve that war? Because, I mean, either that war is done or people simply cannot keep two walls in mind at once and in fact maybe it's we can't keep the two walls in mind at once so but my point is for Kim Jong-un he's gone from he was like the number one threat to the world he was he used to be the top dog he used to be the one that everyone was like oh shit like he's the reason we're gonna we're gonna die and he was like the greatest threat he was just Constantly being talked about, and I we haven't heard from him for a while. He's kind of like, he's almost like the ISIS of dictators. He kind of just like has kind of just gone dark and disappeared. And we're like, is he still? Are they still around? Are they still? Is ISIS still a thing? I don't think so. Is Kim Jong Un still, still around? We we're like, what's going? What's what's happening over in Korea? We just. Squid Game was great. We really, really, Squid Game was great. And yeah, I, I, I feel like he kind of went off the radar when Squid Game came out. Maybe he was just too busy watching Squid Game to kind of continue making these threats because I'm sure that he would have loved Squid Game because it was all about South Koreans being slaughtered and being, being mowed down by machine guns. So I think maybe he watched Squid Games and thought, well, this has satiated my bloodlust for a couple of years. This has kind of kept me satisfied for a bit. I don't need to threaten war upon South Korea and the West anymore. I can kind of just chill out for a bit. And then, and then he almost died. Remember, apparently he had like some cardiac... Arrest, he had some sort of he had like a heart attack. This was a couple of years ago, and there was all the speculation about how they thought that he had died. And he was, un- and I think he went, I think he underwent surgery, like very, very top secret surgery. And he survived the surgery and came out. And I think now he's kind of like back to, to decent health despite clearly having a pretty hefty BMI. I've always, I was always concerned for. The surgeon who was doing that heart operation on Kim Jong Un, imagine the pressure to to not fuck that up. I mean, just you'd have just so many. You'd just have like a a general with a with a machine gun pointed at you, being like, if you do one wrong thing, you're going to be on the fucking operating table as well. So shout out to the surgeon. Who saved Kim Jong Un's life under? I'm going to say quite tremendous pressure. He managed to save Kim Jong Un's life. Kim Jong Un recovered. He chilled out, and I think that the 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 bloodlust that that was satisfied by the first season of Squid Games has now kind of worn off, and now he's like, it's time. 2024 was my year. It's time. It's time to destroy the world. Which means we can we really need to hasten the release of the next Squid Game series. That could be the only thing that that just buys us some time because clearly the man wants a war. He wants to kill Koreans. I, I really think we need to release the second season of Squid Games immediately. I think it is scheduled for this year. They have been working on it. I think they are trying to get it out this year in twenty twenty four. But it really can't come soon enough. I really think they maybe maybe they should just release the teaser trailer today and just be like, Hey, Kim, can we just... Just don't worry. Just... Mate, don't worry about the, the nuclear war, war right now. Um, this should kind of keep you satisfied for a little bit. Here are some more Koreans being killed in children's games. So... And it's a documentary. This one's a documentary. This is real life. These aren't actors. We actually did, we killed a lot of South Koreans to make this show. Please enjoy the trailer. And hopefully, this distracts you a little bit and just satisfies your bloodlust, you know, just for a few more months while we try to work out how to hopefully assassinate you or, or somehow interfere with your intercontinental ballistic missile program. So I guess that's my hope for this year. My hope for this year is that we get the next season of Squid Games out immediately because that might be the only way that we stop Kim Jong-un from launching a nuclear weapon. Meanwhile, by the way, he's also trying to like boost tourism to North Korea. So North Korea is also releasing all these ads Trying to welcome, trying to be like, hey, are you looking for a holiday? Well, might I recommend Pyongyang? Now, I do think that North Korea's tourism is struggling. I do think that they probably need some tourists. And it could be that the threat of nuclear war is part of the tourism campaign. It could well be that could be part of the campaign it's like hey if you come to pyongyang our nuclear weapon won't hit you cuz we're going to aim it somewhere else so maybe that's maybe it maybe it's less of a tourism campaign and more of a more of a threat it's like hey come here or you might be vaporized by our weapon so i can see how the threats of nuclear war and the tourism campaign kind of like you know, work off each other quite well. But I just... I think you have to offer more than... than I think you have to offer more than survival. I think that when you're offering... You know, because you see ads for Australia and the ads always like come to Australia. You know, you get to go to a beautiful beach in the sundays, Lara Bingle is in a bikini. What more could you want? I mean, at the very least, you got to have, you know... Kim Jong Un in, in a bikini, being like, "Come to Pyongyang, you know, you're not going to be immolated by our weaponry in Pyongyang because we're going to presumably aim it at a Seoul or Washington D.C." So, I I th- I think it's a smart move to combine the tourism campaign with the threat of thermonuclear war. But I think you have to offer a bit more than just that. You know, you know, Kim Kim in a bikini would be nice. Maybe a water slide. Food? Food, would because I, I don't think they have food in Pyongyang. I think if you assured people that they, they had food, then I think we'd be like, okay, well, that's a start. That is a start. Also, I think if you promised people that they wouldn't get detained for being a Western spy and murdered in a jail cell, that could also help with the tourism campaign because... I think that for many people that is the one that is the one downside of going to North Korea. That for me, like I would love to go to North Korea personally. My concern is though that I would be put into a a black site and no one would hear from me again until they released a video of me, you know, speaking fluent Korean in North Korean garb you know, doing a news broadcast announcing the West. So maybe that could be actually, maybe that's part of the tourism campaign. Come to North Korea. You'll get free accommodation in one of our prison cells. It's not nice, but you get the bare essentials to live. And then we'll make you a big TV star. You'll be like huge in North Korea. You'll be like a big news reporter in North Korea. So, Kim, if you're listening, I doubt it, because I don't think North Korea has Wi-Fi, but if we can get this message to North Korea, I'm thinking that that could be a way of just boosting the tourism campaign. You know, you combine it with the threats of of a, a nuclear holocaust happening in your home country, so come and seek refuge in North Korea, where you will be imprisoned as a Western spy. But then... You know, if you can survive that just for a couple of years, you know, living off uh, rats that you that you find in your prison cell, if you can do that, we're going to put you on the TV and you can denounce the uh, Western capitalism. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2024, the first episode ever recorded on a cruise ship. I'm going to spend my final days on this ship uh, in disguise, trying to avoid making eye contact with anyone on the ship, except, except for Phoebe, the seven-year-old, who seems to be a big fan. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a nice review on Spotify or Apple. It helps other people find the show. And if you think I'm funny, come and see me live, not on a cruise ship. Come and see me live at one of my shows in Australia. I've got shows coming up in Perth and Fremantle, part of the Fringe World Festival over there. Those shows are in February. And then I'll be in Melbourne for the Melbourne International Comedy Festival in March, April. I'll be flying back from London specifically to do that festival. So I hope that you guys can make it along. I've got lots to say. That's why the show is called Lots to Say. Because if you've listened to this podcast uh, for a number of weeks now, you'll know I've got lots to say. I'm not saying none of it's helpful to human civilization. But, you know, it's... It's interesting. I th- some of it. It's interesting. Thank you again. I'll see you next week. Happy New Year. Good night.